0: Appreciate so much our youth leading our service last week. They did such a great job, and Brother Robert did such a great job bringing the message, and we appreciate that so much. Appreciate him and all the work that he does in leading our youth. He does a fantastic job. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 24, as we continue to look at Jesus' great Mount Olivet Discourse. You know, one generation, particularly our generation, has seen a lot of destruction in the world. And the main reason that we've seen so much is because of television and because of the Internet and being able to see things going on in other places around the world, right there on our TV screens. In our own living room, we're seeing the destruction in the Middle East and in Asia and in uh, Australia and Africa and all around the globe. We've become accustomed to that. I mean, we have got to the point we hardly know what it would be like any other way. But other generations of the past did not have that ability. We can see pictures. We can see videos of all kinds of atrocities around the world. And we can watch them even in real time as they're happening. Now, we've all seen footage of tornadoes, for instance, and the destruction that they leave behind. Houses and buildings leveled, trees uprooted, cars laying on their tops. But here about a year and a half ago, there was a tornado that hit Moore, Oklahoma. And I was watching a television, and right there, they were showing live feed of that actually happening. You could see the tornado on the ground. You could see uh, debris flying through the air. And you could even see the rubble that was left behind by the destruction. We know what destruction looks like, or so we think. But there is destruction destruction coming upon this world that is far greater than anything we've ever witnessed before. Destruction is an interesting thing. It's kind of all in our perspective. What might seem devastating to one person, or even to one generation, may not be so much to another. And the reason is, is because many things are getting worse and worse. Many things are getting more and more destructive. A perfect example of this is you You may or may not know the name Bernard Shaw. Anybody know who Bernard Shaw is? Bernard Shaw uh, is best known for uh, uh, being a broadcast journalist for his whole life. Bernard Shaw... Uh, was at CNN from, from its inception in 1980 up until his retirement in early 2001. I remember watching him being interviewed upon his retirement, and this would have been, pay attention to the date here, about February or March of 2001. And they asked him this question. They said, as you look back over your distinguished career in broadcasting, what is the most touching story That you've ever covered. And you know what he said? He said the Oklahoma City bombing. As we know about six months after he spoke these words. We had the terrorist attack upon the World Trade Center in September. Of that same year. That killed almost 20 times more people than what were killed in Oklahoma City. As we look at one thing. We may think it's big, we may think it's terrible, we may think it's destructive, but God in His Word is essentially saying to this world and to this generation, you haven't seen anything yet. You think this was bad, you think this was destruction, just wait. And we look into God's Word, we see His words here, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 24, we see. It all laid out in the book of Revelation, and we see the destiny of this world. This world is going to be destroyed before God uh, brings a new heaven and a new earth. There is certainly a level of destruction which is coming to this world, which will be far more severe than what's been seen. Hollywood writers and those who make their living based on fantasy and uh, fiction could not write anything that is more graphic and more terrible and more destructive than what will indeed factually come upon this world. Well, the events leading up to Christ's return will be like the world has never experienced before. They will be catastrophic. In verses 3-14 through of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus addresses the signs of the times and the end of the age. In verses 15 through 28, he addresses the great tribulation period. And that's what we looked at last time. And we come to our text today from Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 35, where he talks about his second coming. And I invite you to take your Bibles and stand with me As we read from God's word, beginning in Matthew 24 and verse 29. Jesus said, immediately after the tribulation of these days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels and with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, at the doors. Surely I say unto you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you today with humility as we approach this text that speaks of the end of time and speaks of the destruction that is planned for this world. We pray, Lord, that in light of that, we would be better witnesses and that we would be more faithful uh, to what you have called us to do as believers. We pray now that you ask and we ask you to guide us in Jesus name. Amen. As you're seated. Notice, first of all, the great calamity that befalls the earth. Great calamity befalling the earth. Jesus spoke of these days with great authority. There's tremendous debate about how things will unfold in the end times. I mean, there are commentators, there are ones who have studied these things carefully, and there is a lot of disagreement about mainly the order of events, Uh The events themselves are less debated than than the order of the events. But one thing that we can be sure of in all of this is these things are not confusing to God. And God knows exactly the order of them. God knows exactly uh, how it's all going to unfold. And so sometimes people will throw up their hands and say, well, there's no need to even study this because it's too confusing. Even some very learned scholars have Come to the point of throwing up their hands and saying, this is so confusing. No one could understand these things. I don't agree with that. But there have been some that have said that. But make no mistake about it. This is not confusing to God. God is infinite, we are finite, and we look at this, and maybe you've read through Revelation before, maybe you've read through passages like Matthew 24 or some of the Old Testament prophecies, and you said, this is very difficult, I don't understand. Well, you're not alone. But yet Jesus here speaks authoritatively. Jesus speaks uh, clearly, And he's speaking to his disciples. He's not speaking to a group of scholars. He didn't gather around a group of Pharisees and Sadducees and say, now listen, I've got something to tell you all. He's speaking to his disciples, the men whom he chose to pour his life into, to teach them. And he's answering a question. Back in the earlier part of this chapter, uh, the question come up. And when will these things be? When will be the sign of your coming? When will the end of the age be? And it says, and Jesus answered and said to them. And the words that we're still reading and studying here today are part of a block of material, which is the answer to those questions posed by the disciples. God clearly has a plan. God clearly has a purpose for everything that takes place. God is doing things that we can be thankful for, even when we look at it and we say, wow, this is a lot to take in. This is These are hard sayings. We can still find reason to be thankful in all of this, because this world itself is confusing, right? Just to know that God has a plan is of tremendous security to us. What Jesus is telling his disciples is in response to their questions, and he's laying it out for them in a way that is something of an overview. Now, there's more details given about all these things in the book of Revelation, but the Lord is giving a a very broad overview in Matthew 24. Also, this same address is recorded in Luke 21 and Mark 13. After the tribulation, the sky will be darkened. The sun and the moon will not give off their light. Perhaps from smoke, perhaps from ash. I mean, uh, the world, uh, the natural world will be in a very volatile state then. It's described as being with earthquakes, uh, uh, lots of destructive things happening, uh, presumably volcanoes. And we know that those kind of things can certainly block out the sun as they've done before. So there's a good chance that this is what this is referring to here as the sun being darkened. It'll be clouded. It will be overcast. The sun and the moon will not give their light. Stars falling from heaven. Uh, Meteor showers, most likely, as when we think of uh, literally stars falling from heaven. The stars are actually much larger than the earth. One star is several times larger than what the earth is. And so one star hitting the earth would would be it. But more than likely, meteor showers or things falling from space is what is in view here. The sign of the Son of Man in verse 30 refers to Christ Himself appearing in heaven. The tribes of the earth probably refer to Israel as in... uh, the book of Revelation in chapter 7, there's a, uh, a laying out of each of the twelve tribes. They're named and it says from the tribe of, uh, Benjamin, from the tribe of Joseph, from the tribe of Zebulun, uh, twelve thousand will be, will be saved. In Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, the tribes of the earth, referring to Israel, There is a national repentance that is talked about in Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 and in verse 12, where each will individually mourn for their sins and for their rejection of God. The Son of Man coming in the clouds will be the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Christ will not return sheepishly or appear weak in any way, but will return with great power. That's what you would expect of God, right? You wouldn't expect the Lord to return uh, in a meek and mild way. I mean he'll return as a victor. I mean the Lord sometimes is seen by the world as being weak, uh, unimportant, insignificant. that's the way he's often pictured and even in the power of evil is often seen or viewed as being greater uh, in this world. Well indeed, evil does. Uh, reign in this world and amongst its worldly system. But the power of God is much greater, and the power of God superintends everything. God is meek, and what does meek mean? Well, the word meek means power under control. It doesn't mean that there's not any power there. You could have a guy come in here today that was exceedingly strong, a power lifter maybe that holds world records, and power lifting and he may be able to potentially pick up anything in this room but if he sits down and and bows his head and doesn't do anything to show his power does that mean he doesn't have any power no it just the when we say that the lord is meek it just means he's not showing his power in a manifested way uh, in every way that he could at any given moment so the lord is Meek, in other words, the Lord has power, which is under control. He will send his angels to gather who? His elect from the four corners of the wind, from east into west, from north to south. His elect includes both Jews and Gentiles that will gloriously begin Christ's reign. And we're so thankful for that. We as Gentiles have been grafted in to God's plan, God's uh, plan. The Old Testament is a history of the Jewish people. But in the New Testament, we learn from the Gospel of John that Jesus came to his own, meaning his people. The Jews, but his own, received him not, but to as many as received him. He gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name, who were born not of the blood. In other words, they were not Jews by blood or by birth or anything like that. But they were born simply of God. They were born of God. In other words, they understood salvation in the way that we do. They received Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. They received Him as being the one who paid the penalty for their sin. They put their faith and their trust in Him. All these things described in Matthew chapter 24 seem chaotic and they seem frightening. They sound that way because they are in many regards. You can't read these things and you say, well, this this isn't as bad as it seems. This isn't a big deal. Well, no, it is a big deal. It's destruction like the world has never seen before. Definitely frightening. It's a frightening time uh, to think about being lost when you think about us approaching the end of time and to not know Christ as Savior and to think about... Uh, those who may have to live through the pouring out of God's wrath upon this world. But for God's children. But for God's children, these things mark a key moment. The ultimate and the final triumph of Christ over the world, which is Satan's domain. I like the words of Cory Ten Boom. Tenboom, Ten Boom, you might remember, was... Uh, a prisoner in one of the Nazi camps during World War II, the concentration camps. And she came out of that. She was one of the few that lived uh, to actually tell the story of what she went through. But she said this, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to an un, to, a, to a known God. The future is unknown, largely, now, we can look at this and we see painted with broad strokes here what's going to happen. But when these things will happen, how they'll all unfold, some of the many of these things are are difficult to grasp. But in the big picture, we know God and we know God's character and we know God's promises. And so when we think of that, we can go back to what Corey Tenboom said, and we need not be afraid to trust A God who we know, the God, the sovereign God of all the universe. Trust Him for a future that is difficult to understand. Believers have hope, whereas the world does not have hope. And we're told that that hope does not disappoint. Romans 5.5 tells us that hope doesn't disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And the Holy Spirit, according to the book of Ephesians, is our guarantee. It's our, He's our confirmation. We are sealed even by the Holy Spirit of God. G.K. Chesterton spoke of this hope that we have as believers. He said, hope means hoping when things are hopeless. Or it is not a virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that as long as you can look at a situation and you can say, well, yes, I I have hope. Everything about it leads me to be hopeful. If you're watching a football game and it's, in, it's, it's early in the fourth quarter and your team's ahead 49 to nothing and you're saying, I hope my team wins. Well, you're pretty safe there. You're pretty safe. And so Chesterton would say that kind of hope is no virtue at all. But it's when it is your team that is behind and you're still holding out hope for a victory. Well, we may look at this world, people may look at this world and say, where's the promise of the Lord's coming? Things are getting worse, not better. People are getting less godly instead of more godly as time goes on. Why are you Christians so hopeful? Well, Chesterton would say, this is the time that we need to show our hope the most. This is the time the world needs hope the most. Not when everything's going good. Not when everybody in the community goes to church. Not when the church house is packed. Not when the world is great and people are smiling and hugging one another and getting along. When there's no war. Hope then, he would say, is not much. It's not worth much. It's no virtue at all. But it's when things appear hopeless that Christians can... Uh, shine like light in the darkness into that kind of a world and show hope. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount that we're to be what? Salt in this world and we're also to be light. And he said you don't light a lamp and then cover it with a basket. What good is that? What purpose does that serve? No, he says you put it on a lampstand so that it can be seen by all who are in the house let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and do what glorify your father who is in heaven notice finally hope realized for God's children in verses 32 to 35 jesus often taught in parables a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning here he gives a parable concerning a fig tree Just as they were to know that as the tender branches of a fig tree started to put forth leaves, to know that the earth at this point was ready to put forth leaves, so to speak. It was ready. It was ready. After all of the calamities that it was undergoing described in this chapter, then the Son of Man was ready to come forth. All of these things are meant to be confirming and even comforting to a generation of people who will see them. Verse 34 has caused a lot of confusion to some. Many have taken it to mean that Jesus speaking here directly to his disciples is in essence saying to them that you that I'm talking to right now, this generation, the disciples and those who were alive at that time are the ones that he's speaking to Uh, assuredly I say to you, this generation will not by no means pass away until all these things have taken place. Well obviously that generation that he originally spoke to has come and they've long since gone. All these things are meant to be confirming though. Many have taken it to mean that Jesus is speaking to that generation. But as we know, it's long gone. A much better way to understand it, though, is to see it as referring to whatever generation is actually witnessing all the things that took place. Uh, All these things will take place fairly quickly, certainly within the span of one generation. When these things begin to happen, they're not going to be drug out over decades or centuries. It's going to happen pretty quickly, going to happen certainly within the span of a generation and probably more like in the span of just a few months or possibly a few years. All these things include Antichrist, the tribulation, and most importantly, the appearance of Christ in glory. Verse 35 is one of the most comforting and reassuring verses, though. And all of the Bible, he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. The words of Christ are more certain than the very existence of the universe itself. That's quite a statement that's made there in verse 35. How did the universe even come into being? be? Well, Genesis 1-1, the very first verse in the Bible, says... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do that? He spoke them into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be uh, animals. Let there be a separation of the earth and the sky and water from dry land. He spoke those things into existence. And so he's saying here, heaven and earth may pass away. In other words, all the stuff I created back in Genesis chapter 1. But the words, my words, will never pass away. They're longer lasting than even this earth. What does mankind do now? Puts a lot of stock in this earth. Puts a lot of time and effort into this earth. We should be good stewards of the earth. I'm not against that. But to this world, this earth is all there is. Satan is called in the New Testament the God of this world. In other words, superintending this whole worldly, earthly experience. This worldly system he controls. I mean, what does, what does the world have other than this earth? This, the world is not going to spend eternity with God in heaven. And so the world puts a lot of stock, just like Satan puts a lot of stock in this earth, in this domain. But this is all going to be destroyed. And this is what we see here in Matthew 24 and in other places in Scripture. This world is temporary. It would be like you buying a house and you expecting to literally live in that house forever. Now, you may say, I'll live there till I die, and you might. But it would be as though you thought you were never going to die and your house would never fall down. And we say, well, that's silly. Everybody dies and every house eventually falls down or is tore down. Well, that's right. That's the nature of this earth. And in a bigger picture, this earth is doing the same thing. This earth is temporary. God created it at some point and it's got its day of destruction coming. It will be destroyed. But the Lord says, my words aren't going to pass away. The words of the living God are not merely words. They have an eternity, eternality to them that other words, particularly our words, don't have. Our words are filled, our sentences, our communication are filled with a lot of things. We make a lot of misstatements. We exaggerate We apologize, we lie, we engage in idle talk, we ramble, etc. But God's speech is free from all of those things. God is not capable of doing anything. God doesn't exaggerate, God doesn't make misstatements. God doesn't apologize, God doesn't lie. God does not talk idly and God certainly does not ramble. God's speech is perfect. And so when the Lord says, heaven and earth will all pass away, but my words will by no means, absolutely not pass away, then everything that he has said, everything that we have in the Bible is true. Absolutely true. And we can bank on it. Jesus gives the promise in verse 35 essentially to say nothing is going to change the truth or reality. The reality behind the words that I have just given you. The sequence of all of the events described in these verses will not change. This is truth. This is reality. The created things, heaven and earth, will pass away. But they will all do so before His words will pass away. Remember God spoke all of this into existence. God can speak it out of existence. God has a plan that He is following and will follow to the letter. A plan that has been established in eternity past. Even before the foundation of the world was laid, God had a plan And that plan always included Christ coming back to this earth. When Christ comes back, he'll come back triumphantly. He'll come back in victory at the end of that final great battle. Christ will return with his saints. But right now we live in the age of grace and we still have opportunity to get our hearts and our lives right with God. Before it is too late. It's, it's a big thing to live in the age of grace. We've always lived in it and so I think we take it for granted. I think, well, I can get saved anytime I want. I can get my life right anytime I want. I can witness to my neighbor anytime I want. Well, you've been blessed enough. You've been fortunate enough to be able to do that anytime you wanted up until now. But tomorrow is not guaranteed. The remainder of today is not guaranteed. You don't know what tomorrow will bring, James said. Your life is like a vapor. It's here for a little while and then it vanishes away. It dissipates into the atmosphere. It's gone. A plan. God has a plan. No one knows the day or the hour when the Lord will return the Father in heaven, though, knows. But I believe this world is winding down and winding down quickly. And so it ought to create in us a greater sense of urgency to bear testimony, to bear witness for our Lord and Savior in the places we work and at school, in our communities, amongst our extended family. Right now, we live in this age of grace and we still have opportunity to let us take advantage of the opportunities that we have before destruction comes upon the world as the calamity of this tribulation, the calamity uh, that will uh, precede Christ's second coming. But right now, we live in an age of grace where there's opportunity. And I ask you this morning, is your heart right with God? Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now. We give you thanks in all things for your goodness, for your mercy, for your amazing love. Lord, we can't explain a lot of things about how you love us or why you love us or anything. We just know that you do. And Father, there are a lot of difficult things that we Strive to figure out and understand. We know what your words say. And we know generally what is going to happen. But Father, we don't have your mind. We don't fully understand things as you do. And Father, you knew when you give these words that... No one would ever fully understand until they actually see them take place. We pray, Lord, though, that the things that we do understand would change us, that they might motivate us, they might instill in us a sense of urgency, as we may well be living in the final days of the age of grace, before the time of calamity begins before you take your church out of here we pray lord to give us wisdom in these days to give us strength to live for you and bear witness even through our lifestyle we praise you we thank you for all things and we ask this morning if there's any decision that needs to be made Maybe one for salvation, as some would step forward and say, I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. I want to know Him as my Savior. Maybe some would say, I know that this is where God has placed me. This is where God has planted me, as far as a church goes. And I want to serve Him here. Maybe some would step forward today and say, I want the whole church to know that this is where God has called me. Maybe someone else would make a recommitment. Maybe someone else needs to surrender to some special calling or service that you placed upon their life. You know the need that is in every heart. You know what's going through every mind right now. Lord, bless now we ask in this time of invitation. Let your spirit have freedom amongst us.